0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, my friends. I want to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Um, I was just sitting there realizing how lucky we are. John Mark's out of town this weekend, and often when somebody like fills in for somebody, it's sort of like, oh man, I'm too bad they're gone, you know? Um, but Josh, unbelievable. Thank you. And which I, I know you don't do that alone, but um, thanks for leaving us. Uh, John Mark uh, is uh, touring around somewhere, who knows where. Did you guys know it's his birthday today? He's 21. <laughs> so we can, I could can actually take him out for uh, a drink now. Uh, actually, and, and, uh, funny, the first time we met to kind of talk about Awaken and, like, whether or not this might be a good fit, I'm like, hey, let's go to Pizza Luce. It's Tap Tuesday. Like, all, they have great taps there, three bucks, all of them. He's like, yeah, okay, sure. So we get there, and I'm like, so, you know, here's the deal. Here's the taps. are a couple of my favorites. Like, what, do you, what, what, are, you, what are you thinking? He's like, I'm 20. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, good. Well, I feel like an idiot. Um, <laughs> there's Coke products, too, and other things. So, yeah. <laughs> And Chris, our fearless intern, got married last night. So yeah, yeah, he got married. So in honor of Chris, I'm wearing a tie. And in honor of Moses' death, which we'll be studying, I'm wearing black. So (laughs) Uh, yeah, so this is, gang, this is it, man. This is the last sermon in this Moses series. I'm sort of like grieving uh, that we'll not be doing this anymore. Maybe we should just start over at the beginning. I have loved this series Mostly, I think probably because I feel like I've lived in it myself uh, and, uh, you know, what does it mean to cross over and where God invites you to sort of face your fears and do things that maybe um, are what you think outside of yourself uh, and and all of the things that Moses experienced. So I've just loved it. Um, uh, This week, I was studying this passage that we're going to study. So we're in Deuteronomy. This is the last, uh, this is the end of Moses' life. And I'm sitting at the Angry Catfish, which is a coffee shop over by my house. And um, I'm not kidding you. I was reading this passage, and like right in the middle of the Angry Catfish, I'm just like weeping. (laughs) Because this story and this passage is, I think, one of the most intimate and beautiful, exquisite moments in the scriptures. And so I'm so excited to to teach it, and for us to be in it this morning. Uh, the first time I read it, I actually I hated it. I was so mad. So uh, let's read it, and then I'll, I'll see if maybe you don't have the same experience that I did, and hopefully you, you come to this place where maybe there's another way to see this. So stand, if you will, Deuteronomy chapter 34, starting in verse 1, it says this. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the whole region of the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. And then the Lord said to him, this is the land I've promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I I will give it to your descendants." I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, and yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Pray with me. God, as we finish this series and we uh, listen to this story of Moses and the last moments of his life, would you speak to us? Would you uh, come near as you did to him? Would you allow us to see you for who you are? And God, would you change us, uh, transform us into the people that you created us to be, that Jesus died to make possible? We pray these things in your name, and God, all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. So uh, one of the questions that I have asked repeatedly in this series has been, what if God is like this? And I think that as we've studied this, this story, the Exodus story, and Moses' life, we have found these moments where, at least for me, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in contact with, or I'm coming up against maybe a, a picture of God that I... I didn't realize was there or maybe is different than the one that I got as a kid or as I read it when I was younger or I was taught in, in church or, or even in seminary. And so this morning, I want to land there in that same place of what if God is like or what is God like? And we come from all kinds of different places. We walk in this place on Sunday morning and it's all here, I know, from anxiety and fear to joy and happiness to uh, uh, depression and sadness. It's all present. And, and I wonder if we, we were to just kind of open the floor, so this is an all play. If I were to say, what is God like? Or maybe if I ask the question differently, what are some of the beliefs about God that you have run across? Good or bad? What are some of the things that people think God is like? So maybe you have a friend who thinks this about God, or you think this about God. Just shout them out. Loving. What else? Gracious. Omnipresent, like always present outside of time. Yeah. What else? Judge, dictator. Is that what you said? Yeah. Forgiving. Somebody in first hour said arbitrary. Say merciful. Angry.
1: Say it louder. Faithful. Distant. Creative. Yeah.
0: Father. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> what is God like? What an interesting question. And I'm guessing that there may be some, some things present, rattling around in your hearts and brains, that maybe you're even a little afraid to say out loud. What if God is like... dot dot, dot. So this passage, right? Deuteronomy 34, the end of Moses' life. When I read this, and, and I've read it a number of times, for a long time, I thought... That is so not fair. Like, I was so angry. I mean, this is Moses, right? Remember who we're talking about. Moses, he's the guy who was born in Egypt. He was put in a basket by his mother. He was saved by the Egyptian princess. He was raised as an Egyptian. He killed an Egyptian. He fled. He went to Midian. He married a couple of ladies there at Zipporah, because that's what you do when you go to a well and then go to somebody's house for dinner. You marry their daughters. Then he was, he was out, in the, out doing what he does as a shepherd, and a bush starts burning, which is not uncommon in that particular time or in that particular place. The bush is burning, but it's not consumed. So he goes over, and then it starts speaking, and it's God, and God invites him to go to Egypt. And he's like, I'm not really sure about that. Maybe I shouldn't, all these things. God says, no, you should go. So finally he says, okay, I'll go. He goes to Egypt. He gets the people out of Egypt. He takes them from Egypt to this place where they find the Red Sea. It parts. He wanders with them in the desert. They get the commandments at Sinai. This is all of Moses' life, and he gets to the end of it, and God's like, see the promised land over there? Yeah, you can see it, but you can't go into it. I'm like, what the heck? you got to be kidding me. That's so unfair. That's how I felt about this when I first read it. I remember my, my mom, when I was a kid, used to say, like, who told you life was fair? You know, I'd be like, come on, Mom, that's not fair. <laughs> who told you life was fair? Yeah. So when I read this, I was, I, was always so, I was angry, and I thought, that is so mean. Like what kind of a god would do that? Like trapes this guy up to the top of a hill and be like, "Hey, guess what? This is as far as you get to go, baby." And and technically speaking, this is a consequence for he was told to uh, say to the rock, "Water come forth," and he struck the rock instead, which is a whole other thing. But like that's the reason. Like all of the, you can't see, the, you can't go into the promised land because of that. Capricious, arbitrary, unfit, you know, unfit punishment for, you know, a small little insignificant thing. Didn't say it, instead he struck it. So then I got a chance to study this with a group of people and uh, a rabbi named Alan who has offered to me a different picture. And so I think sometimes when you come to a passage and if you get just really fired up about it or you get you have a really uh, uh, like visceral response to it. I would submit there's probably something there, right? There's probably something under the surface there. So dig, stop, explore. So certainly we will do that this morning. I want to pull a thread, and the thread is, what if God is like? And I think that this passage begins to open up a picture of who God is that is breath. do this so number one what if god is the giver of sight so moses is brought up to this whole mountain and god says here it is i will show you all of the land everything that i've promised you from the north to the south the east to the west it's all right there in front of him except there's one small insignificant problem they're called the mountains of judea (laughs) they block everything that's mentioned in this passage i think that's kind of funny So God says, here it is, you can see it all, except like if you're actually there, like if the Mediterranean Sea is here, Israel's here, he's way down here in the southeast corner, and he's looking this way, and the mountains of Judea block almost everything that's mentioned in this passage that Moses is supposed to be able to see. What kind of seeing are we talking about here? A wise man once told me that nearly every conversation in Scripture could be divided into seeing and not seeing. And this question of can you see what's really truly there sometimes has something to do with what you see, but I would say more often than not, it has something to do with what you see. And it's a different kind of seeing. Genesis chapter 1 is the first usage of the word see, to see. In Genesis 1-2, it says that God saw the light, called it good, and separated the light from the darkness. Which is interesting because in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the sun, the moon, and the stars have not been created. So everything that gives light to anything is not actually present yet. So what is it that God is seeing? Think about that. What is the light of day one? So God sees this light, draws it out. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is told, Leave your father, your, your, your house, everything that you know, and I will, take you, or I, will, I will take you to the land I will cause you to see. So Deuteronomy 34 is the fulfillment of Genesis 12, a land that I will cause you to see. In Genesis 13, see, I'm just laying out some of these different usages of this seeing idea. Genesis 13, Lot lifts up his eyes and sees the plains of Egypt, and he likens them to the Garden of Delight. He says essentially that Egypt, the narrow place where God is not, is like the Garden of Delight. What do you see And then following that, it says that Abraham, God lifts his eyes and causes him to see the land that he will give him. So there's these kind of two sides to this coin in scripture about seeing, and there's seeing what's right in front of us, and then there's seeing with our hearts and our spirit and seeing things for what they really are. So here's the gift. Moses, at the end of his life, is standing on top of this mountain, and God causes him to see as God sees all that God has given to this group of people which physically is blocked by his view because there's mountains there. But what's being seen is something far bigger than that. And it's a gift in its grace and its faith. And Moses is able to see as God sees in that moment. And I wonder if God isn't the gift giver of sight, where God gives this gift of being able to see things for what they really are. And we see as God sees in those moments. I wonder if God isn't that gift giver who's, who's... generously pouring out this ability or generously pouring out this gift. Not the God who traipses this guy up to the mountain and then says, hey, guess what? You can't actually see anything that I've promised you. <laughs> no, but this good gift giver who opens up the doors of eternity and says, look, see as I see. And here they are, Moses and God, on top of this mountain. Now, before I go on to this next one, I'll, I'll just I'll say that this is a Surgeon General's warning. This is a pretty, I think, a very intimate passage. And so I'm going to ask a question that maybe is an interesting or provocative way to think about God, but I'll just hold off on that. See what I've done there. I've, I've, I've got you on, on a tether. You're all like, what is coming? Oh man, that's preaching 101. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. So I'm at, I'm at a wedding last night with my wife, Laura and I went to Chris and uh, Kelsey's wedding. And, uh, Uh, so we're there, you know, there's, you know, the wedding thing, and, you know, covenants, and marriage, and intimacy, and friendship, and passion, and all this stuff, and it's all, you know, it's the wedding, right, so we're at the end of the wedding, the band starts to play, and Laura's like, you ready to go, and I'm like, heck, no, we're not leaving, like, we're dancing, baby, just get your dancing shoes on, so I call her, you know, I invite her out there, and and so we start dancing, and she just starts laughing, and she's like, did you know that you have a dance face, (laughs) and I'm like, are you talking about? I've I've known you for 17 years. I've been married to you for 15 years, and you're just now telling me I have a hashtag dance face. She's like, Yeah, you do this thing, and like, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I do not look like that. And she says, Yes, you actually do. It is a dance face. So 15 years in, like, this is what you know, the intimacy of marriage. I have a dance face. I'm just now finding out about. But what if? What if? What if God is an What if God is like an intimate lover? What if God is, think about the most beautiful, intimate, passionate kind of love that two people can experience. What if God is like that? This is a breathtaking passage. Verse 5 says, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord had said. Now, this is a tricky one, and the translators don't really know what to do with it, and so they make it seem like God's speaking or whatever, but this is the literal reading of the text. If you want to throw that next slide up there. Al pi-yahweh. Al means upon or above. Pi means mouth, pi-hahiroth, the mouth of freedom, Exodus 14. And Yahweh, of course, means God. It literally says that Moses died upon the mouth
1: of God. What if God is like an intimate lover? And in the last, does, does anybody remember Moses' greatest fear? Speech. So, in the most
0: isolating, scary moment of one's life, death, here is God. Where? Close as your deepest fear. What does he say to Moses when Moses says, I can't speak? God says, I will be your mouth.
1: And if you think about death,
0: this is part of, I was in this coffee shop just weeping, thinking about like death and the moment of death and how horrible it is on the one hand and what would make it all the worse to be alone. I mean, if you think about your own fragile life and that moment where it ceases to exist and to be utterly alone in that moment, how horrible. And here we have God in this moment in the most unbelievable fashion, as close as I'm imagining my own death and the gift of my lover and her lips On my face and the breath, I can literally feel her breath. That's my last moment of my life. Like, what an unbelievable gift to have that kind of intimacy and that kind of friendship. Moses dies on the mouth of God. And what is being said about God? What if God is like an intimate lover who in your deepest fears and most paralyzing anxiety is that close? Nothing between Moses and God, naked and unashamed. What if that's what God is like? What if God is not far away or distant or capricious or arbitrary or not concerned or caring about anything that you have fears or anxieties about? What if God, in that moment, in those moments, is as close to you as a kiss? What if God is a gift giver? What if God is like an intimate lover? What if God is a faithful friend? Verse seven, verse six, excuse me, says he buried him in Moab, opposite in the valley, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows to this day where his grave is. For Jewish people, death and burial is a very, very important thing. You you do not get a pass when somebody dies on burial. It is a part of honor and sacrifice and community and relationship that you participate in the burial of this person, even to the fact that there's some writings where it says, even for our declared enemies, we cannot leave a body on the side of the road, as it were. Josephus talks about this. Philo, who's another uh, contemporary of Jesus's time, talks about Jacob and Joseph and this He's imagining J- uh, Joseph's death, and he says, Child, it is not your death that grieves me, but the manner of it. If you, have buried, if you had been buried in your own land, I should have been comforted and watched and nursed your sickbed, exchanged the last farewells as you died, closed your eyes, wept over your body, and given you a costly funeral, and left none of the customary rites undone. So to say, when someone dies, like, ah, I'm going to kind of step back from that, because this is, no, that's not, you don't do that. And in verse 6, we find that the he is not the community, but it's God. God, according to this text, takes on the responsibility. It's as if if Moses gets to the end of his life and he dies and God says, you know what? This one's on me. And God leaves wherever God is from on high and comes down and takes Moses' body and bones and carries him like a friend who honors the sacrifice as if to say Moses man what a run we had do you remember the places we have been and the things that we did together oh Moses my friend and he takes him and buries him himself now there's a lot we could talk about metaphysically and like how you actually understand that but as a storyteller what is the storyteller saying god is like a faithful friend who Honored. The sacrifice and the investment and the the yes that Moses said. Man. Unbelievable. What if Moses or what if God is a gift giver? What if God is an intimate lover? What if God is the ultimate friend? And what if, as we close, what if Moses was totally satisfied? in that moment. Verse 7 says, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. And one, one translator says it this way, he was 120 years old when he died, his eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated. <laughs> what a picture, his eyes undimmed. Just bright with life and his vigor unabated, 120, which is to say the maximum of life, 120, back to Genesis chapter six, this idea, this number that says like all that life can offer, it's 120. It's the max, it's to the end, it's to the full, it's to the nth degree. Moses died at 120 with vigor in his eyes and his, or light in his eyes and his vigor unabated. He was totally satisfied in that moment. And isn't it interesting that he's not in the promised land? He's standing, seeing what is the promised land. So it begs the question, what is the promised land? What is the thing that God promised the people? It's not a place literally or geographically. On the one hand, it is. But on the other hand, it is not. It is a quality of life that can be experienced with the God who invites us into it. And what Moses gets at the end of his life is not regret or fear or anxiety or, oh, the promised land is over there. He is right smack dab in the middle of it. Is it possible that Moses actually experienced promised land kind of living looking at the promised land? You ever you ever want something and then get it and it's not what you think it is? You ever want to be somewhere and then you get there and it's not what you it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't do what you thought it would do? I thought leaving my house when I was 18 and going to college would answer all of my questions and get me away from the things that were hurting and blah, blah, blah. And I got to college, and guess what? I cried myself to sleep for weeks. It was not what I expected. Little Lyndon, when she was younger, she'd be like, not what I expected. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at the dinner table one night. She's like, this is not what I expected. We have some friends who prayed and cried out and poured out their soul to the Lord for seven years to have a baby, and now they have three, and they will tell you, it is not the promised land. It's not. They're wonderful. They're a gift. They love them. They're wonderful, but parents, you know, can I get an amen? They are not the promised land, okay? They don't, they don't fill the hole. The job that you want, the car that you see, the, the relationship that you think will It will not satisfy. It never does, because what we long for, what what will satisfy us, is this kind of qualitative presence, relationship with the divine that made us for it. And when we get it, Moses is there, 120, his eyes filled with light, his vigor unabated, on the mouth of God. And what is he getting? Shabbat, rest, sacred time, everything that he needs right there in that moment. That's where he died
1: his soul satisfied
0: with God
1: what if God is not
0: mean or angry or capricious or arbitrary or absentee what if God is a gift giver who wants to bless what if God is an intimate lover nothing between Moses. What if that is what God wants? What if God is a faithful friend who never walks out on honor, but to the end
1: takes his own hands
0: and lays to rest his friend? What if God, what if Moses is satisfied? In I wonder,
1: I wonder if you could trust that God.
0: I wonder if that God is someone that you could take your fear, your anxiety, your hurt, your pain, the death that you've experienced in your life, and you could say, okay, come in. I wonder if
1: God isn't the God who would say, oh, says that in Jesus, we have
0: heard the yes of God. All of God's promises ring yes in the resurrection of Jesus. And so I wonder this morning if I could suggest to you the invitation to that kind of God.
1: And if it would change anything. If maybe
0: you could take one more step give one more piece of your heart maybe for the first time to just say okay okay and i i believe with everything i have that the god of the scriptures and the god we know in jesus is the god who says oh
1: so yes Say yes please not for me for you for god That's the invitation. Pray with me. God, as we
0: consider who you are, what you have done, what you are like, would you clear away all of the overgrown hedges? Would you move to the side the things that get in the way of us seeing you for who you are? I am so grateful For this man, for this Moses, and this scriptures, which tell this story of you, who is one who is a faithful friend, and a gift giver, and an intimate, passionate lover, and one who satisfies the deepest desires of our souls. So God, may we come to know you in this way. May we come to see you in ways that change us. Make us
1: who we were created to be. May we say yes.
0: Today, tomorrow, the next day, and continue to hear the yes of the divine, the creator, who made us. That's my prayer. God. Find us online at ww.community or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awaken Community or on Twitter Awakening Community. See you next time.